So if, uh, perhaps you're wondering how testimonies uh, kind of happened a few weeks ago when we were um, planning this fall sermon. When I was planning this fall sermon series, I wrote down the outline of like Jesus and so forth as we've been going through John's gospel. And so like when um, Sabrina saw Jesus in your Jesus, she was like, sign me up. Today's passage is from John 9, and the idea is Jesus and our blindness. And that Malcolm's like, sign me up. Um, because as we, <laughs> um, as we consider this passage today, we want to, we're going to become, we're going to be confronted and challenged by our own spiritual blindness. And so let's turn to God's word. We're going to be reading from John 9 beginning not with verse 1, but actually verse 13, reading to the end of the chapter with ending on verse uh, 41. So friends, let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word, coming from John chapter 9, verses 13 to 41. They, and they being this man's neighbors, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to him, he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received a sight until they called the parents of the man who had received a sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things before they feared. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and, do, God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? 
and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also born blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to Christ. Let me pray for us. Father God, we pray for your blessing as we hear and consider your word, where we learn of our blindness from the light of the world who has come to help us see. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Fall in Pennsylvania is simply glorious. Is it not? The trees change colors. Even right now, you'll look around and some of the trees in, in Chester County, you still see some green, but you also see some orange or yellow or red. Perhaps there's some brown. And even as this past week, we've had our first frost of the year, the fret, well, the season, the fresh frost hits the ground and a, a type of fog, hazy fog, hits the ground. And so you're seeing, when the sunlight, sun comes up in the morning, you see the sun rays. Fall in Pennsylvania is simply glorious. And where I grew up in Western PA, like the, I lived in the, in the country, we would be able to see the Milky Way just from my backyard. There was no light pollution. But we're, so we're really out in the sticks. And here's my house, and I could walk to my rural uh, country church I grew up in, which was right across the street from a state park. And when there was one elderly man in that church, and his name was Bill. Bill, at one point in his life, was able to see but he, had, uh, he needed surgery, and the intended side effect of the surgery that would actually save his life was that his optical nerve would be cut. So here's Bill, who, was, who became blind. And so every single Sunday as I'm growing up, here's Bill who would come to worship, and he could not see. And as he would come to worship, it was his sister driving to the car because his sister was his caretaker. His sister would get out of the car, walk around to the passenger side, grab him by the hand, not grab him by the hand, just put, his, put her hand on his arm and help him up, and she would lead him into the church building. And her name was Grace. And you would never find a better person named so here's Bill, and I would ask him every single Sunday, how are you doing? And he would say, oh, it's, I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day that the Lord has made. This man could not see. He had a remarkable joy. He had a remarkable faith. And yet anyone who knew his story would not actually resent him or hold it against him for being cynical because at one point he could see. He was a teacher. He was married. And his wife died, and he lost his sight, and here he is now. And so the lesson that I learned from my childhood, being discipled in the context of this church, being discipled by a blind man, is that he was able to see things, even though he was blind. 
And so that's the lesson that Jesus is actually teaching us here in this passage. That though, you, though some may be blind, they can see. And th- though you may see, you actually may be blind. That is the lesson before us in this passage. That just because you can physically see does not mean you can actually see whatsoever. And so the question that I want us to consider this morning is, can you see? Do you truly see? And as we begin to think about this, I want to first consider the whole picture. I want us to be able to see the forest. This is the fir- if you're a note taker, here's your first outline. Let's see the whole picture. Let's see the forest. And so this is really setting John chapter 9 into context for us. Because Jesus, what we heard last week in John 8, verse 12, Jesus is the light of the world. See, John chapter 8 and John chapter 9 are meant to go together. Both of these passages take, both of these passages happen at relatively the same time, like within a few days of one another. Both of these passages happen in the same Feast of Tabernacles, the same Feast or Festival of Booths. So Israel is celebrating Israel is celebrating God's wonderful provision for his people during the wilderness years. Thinking about manna, thinking about quail, thinking about how God led Israel during the day by a cloud of, and at nighttime by a pillar of fire, by light. And so John, the author of this biography, the author of this gospel, is po- pointed out for us in the very beginning part of John 1 that the light has come into the world and the world has not understood it. See, Jesus came into a world of sinners. Jesus came into a sinful world, but no sinner was looking for God. No sinner was looking for God. That's getting loud. Is it? Sorry. No sinner is looking for God. People were not looking for atonement. People were not looking for reconciliation with God. And so when the light came into the world, it was going to be a battle. It was going to be a conflict because sin was being exposed. And this is actually something that anyone who knew the Old Testament should expect. Consider Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness... The eyes of the blind shall see. See, Jesus' miracles are pictures of his kingdom reign. Jesus' miracles are showing what life with God is like. And so this physical blindness that we see in this passage, this is a picture of our spiritual blindness. This miracle is a picture of our rescue and our redemption at the hands of our glorious Savior. He exposes our self-righteous pride and self-sufficiency so that we can actually see our neediness. That is what Jesus is doing here in this passage. But this particular miracle, to think one more thing about this particular miracle in in the larger context... Here's a man who was born blind. And this man is actually very aware of this. He says to the Pharisees, verse 32, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone who has been born blind has been healed. Think about that. You will will not find a single miracle before 
in Scripture before this point that a man who was born blind was actually healed. In the Old Testament, there's only one healing miracle where a person was blind, and that's 2 Kings 6, but that person was not born blind. So this person understands the uniqueness of this miracle, that he who was born blind has now been able to see. This is a first. This is unique. And even those around him know this. The neighbors take him to the Pharisees and, and to make sense of this. Why is this miracle is very significant within the life of the Israelite people? And so the neighbors are bringing him to the Pharisees to have to their religious leaders so that they can properly understand the significance of this event. But it's also the Pharisees who are trying to kill the, the, the one who healed him. It is actually the Pharisees who are the blind people. So on the first, that's kind of like setting the scene, seeing the whole forest. Now we go to the second point of being truly blind. Truly blind. Do we know what it means to be truly blind? The Pharisees are now engaged, and this is where we picked up our passage. They are engaged in an investigation or perhaps an interrogation. At first, they are divided amongst themselves. Like this man is a is a sinner, and but or this man, how is he a sinner when he can do these miracles? But we discover something very quickly in the latter part of verse thirteen, actually fourteen. Now it was a Sabbath day, it was a Sabbath day, and if you noticed all throughout the Pharisee, the, the every single time the Pharisees were asking questions, they were concerned about the way in which Jesus healed the man. How did this healing occur? And this is important for us to know because the Pharisees, what they did is that they added on to God's law. So take the commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That is one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But what the Pharisees did is that they created hundreds of additional commandments so that if you wanted to keep the Sabbath day, you cannot walk 2,000 steps. Actually, you can walk 2,000. You can walk 2,001. That's how legalistic it was. And here's Jesus who made mud. And yes, making mud was a Sabbath violation within the Pharisaical codes. That's making bricks. And so here's Jesus who makes mud to heal this man. Now certainly Jesus could have certainly said, you are healed. We've seen Jesus do that. He's, we have said, arise, pick up your mat, mat and walk. That's in the Gospel of Mark. Um, he said, uh, a man comes to him and says, hey, my, my daughter is sick. And, and he learns in that moment that she's died. And he says, oh, she's just asleep. We see those type of things. But Jesus here is doing, he spits, takes dirt, he makes mud. The point is, Jesus is picking a fight with the Pharisees here. And he is picking a fight with them. And as we see their interviews, first with the man, then with the parents, and again with the blind man again, we see their spiritual blindness unfold in a few ways. First, we see that they did not believe that such a miracle was possible. It was the first of its kind. It is the first of its kind in all of recorded scripture. 
And so certainly the, the neighbors must be mistaken. This man is not who he says he is. He was not born blind. What does he know? So let's invite his parents in. Maybe he became blind when he was a toddler and he's not aware of this. But they also go on and that what they're doing is that they're putting God in a box. They're putting God in a box by adding onto his law. That no prophet would dare break the Sabbath. No prophet would. Or at least in what they're saying is that no prophet would actually break our interpretation of the Sabbath. They could not, in their minds, they could not imagine that they were the ones who were wrong. They could not imagine that. So that, in other words, the only solution is that for this man, this blind man, is actually a liar. That is how they're treating him. And so they interrogate the, the parents, insisting the man is wrong and uh, still a liar. And so it's here that we actually learn something about their hearts. We see deeper into the motivation and as to what is going on here. Because the parents are afraid of these religious leaders. Because the parents know that if they confess that Jesus is the Christ, they will be cast out from the synagogue. The parents, but the parents know enough of the parents of this man's story, and they believe it to know that Jesus was the healer. That if they would say Jesus was the healer, then all of a sudden they would be cast out and excommunicated from the Jewish synagogue. And it's a plain, it's an obvious miracle. And here we see the Pharisees' spiritual blindness at work for us. That agents of darkness are using their power to bully and to intimidate, to, co to coerce, to manipulate, to maintain their power by fear. And these are the very people that had the scriptures, who are, in their words, they are the sons and the, the descendants of Moses. They know, have the scriptures, and so they know where to turn to learn about where the Messiah would be born. They knew what the sign, they knew where to turn if they wanted to learn about the signs of his reign, what those signs would be. And yet they get it all wrong and they create horrible burdens on the people that they are supposedly serving. So they are not existing for the life of the world in any way, shape, or form. And so Jesus has harsh words for them. Because what Jesus came to do is that he came to reveal and he came to expose pretenders. And if you look at the, to paraphrase the, the last few verses of this passage, he came to expose that those who think they have spiritual insight, he came to show them that they do not really have spiritual insight. He came to show that they who believe that they have the spiritual sight Excuse me. He came to show that those who do not believe they have the spiritual sight may actually have it. Because what Jesus is demonstrating for all of us is that our, our spiritual blindness is connected to our pride. That our spiritual sight is connected to our neediness. And so what we need to see is that some begin... Some begin to understand that their self-sufficiency is what blinds them. Spiritual pride, here's the key, spiritual pride is the pathway to blindness. And if you think you have all the answers, it, if you think you have it all together, then you are actually in grave danger. 
That's what Jesus wants you to know, that if you think you have your life together, if you think you have all the answers, you are in grave danger. It is because of our sins that our hearts are darkened and deceptive. This is what it means to be truly blind. And yet the light of the world comes so that we would truly see. And here's the third and final point. The wonderful part about the story is Jesus' interactions with this man and how this man responds to Jesus. As you think about Jesus, Jesus is a stranger to this blind man. Jesus is the one who takes the initiative. He is the one who breaks the pharisaical tradition and this pharisaical Sabbath laws by making mud and rubbing it in his eyes. But then the healing came later when the man went to wash it off in a pool. And so what we see going on with the blind man is that he simply obeys Jesus. From the moment you meet him, he is on a journey of faith. He does not know Jesus, but he obeys Jesus. He is not the one who initiates the relationship. God is the one who comes to him and initiates a relationship with him. And so even as he is investigated, the, uh, interrogated, the Pharisees are like, hey, who healed you? And he only knows by hearsay, the one they call Jesus. And so when he's asked, like, hey, who do you say this Jesus person is? He is a prophet. Later on, who do you think he is? Well, he is of God. And then he is sent from God. And he, but when he was healed, this is huge, he does not know who Jesus was. So this one guy, Frederick Bruner, highlights this. That he says that sometimes the best way one shows life, excuse me, one shows faith in Jesus without being asked specifically for faith by Jesus is simply doing what he says. That faith is doing what Jesus says. So here's this man who lacks the education. He lacks the religious training and the credentials compared to the Pharisees, but he is set apart from them. If you think about it, what sets him apart? Yes, he is blind. But as a blind man, the only way that he would actually survive in life is by embracing his neediness. He would have to beg for help. He depends on other people's generosity. If he would insist on his self-sufficiency, claiming that he got this, he would not survive. And every time he opens his mouth, either to the neighbors or to the Pharisees, he is actually telling the truth. Do you notice that? He is constantly telling the truth. And with his limited knowledge, he is following Jesus. He, he doesn't know the whole picture about who Jesus is, but he has limited knowledge and he's following him. He is a disciple. So Steve Brown, a radio guy from Orlando, he pointed out that in light of this passage, he pointed, he had this observation that the world will force you to answer some questions. Will you be silent when you're asked these questions? Will you speak up and own Jesus or will you deny him? That's what's going on in this man's life. And he is willing to tell the truth. Jesus healed me, so he's a prophet. I've experienced this healing, so he is from God. And what happens because he is willing to tell the truth? He's kicked out of the synagogue. He is kicked out of the synagogue. That is how the, the dark world treats children of the light. 
And so Luke, in, in the Gospel of Luke, he unpacks the difference between the Pharisees and beggars like this. Luke 18, 10 through 13. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, what we see in the tax collector, what we see in this, in this blind man is that there is no swagger, there is no religious entitlement, there's no self-sufficiency. The only thing that this man knows is that he is healed by Jesus Christ and he was kicked out of the synagogue for that. He was healed by a man that he could not even recognize. Did you catch that? And do you, do you see the grace of God in this? See, Jesus hears the news that this man has been kicked out and cast out of the synagogue. And what does Jesus do? He goes to find him. Our Savior goes to find those who are hurt by the world and pursues them. He hears this news. He goes to find them. And the last time they met, this man could not even physically know what Jesus looked like. He is blind. And so when Jesus says, asks him the question, do you believe? Who do you think the Son of Man is? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Here's the answer. Who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, it's me. So Jesus is always moving towards the pain in the world. He is always drawing near those who are hurting most. He is the one who takes the initiative and moves towards us in our pain. Because, and this is what he told his disciples very early on, that he is the one who does the works of the Father. That God sent his Son, not for the proud, not for the entitled or or those with swagger, but for the humble. Jesus came to do the works of the Father, and it's this wonderful truth that he, and here's the thing, Jesus has never stopped doing the works of the Father. And so, here's John Calvin with a mind-blowing truth. This is why it says, Christ still irradiates the world, but he works just as hard now through his ministry of the people, through the ministry of the church, as he did through the ministry in the flesh. Look, John Calvin there. See, what he's pointing out is that the church is the one who is carrying out Jesus' ministry in the world today, that, they are, that we are doing the works of the Father. But far too often, we are actually the ones like his, we are like his disciples. We pass by people in pain. And we say, why is this person in pain? Is, it because, is, why is, is this person in pain because of their sin or their parents' sin? And in that moment, they're just like Job's friends, who showed up in an attempt to comfort him, but they lacked empathy, compassion, curiosity. All the while, they are attempting to explain the misery of sin. That's how we operate in, our, in this world. Like Ted Lasso put it this way. Yes, true. Ted Lasso. I love me- meeting people's parents because it's an instruction manual as to why they're so messed up. That's how we operate in this world. We see sin, we see brokenness in this world, and we try to explain it. 
We cannot be like the disciples in this world who see the pain in the world and seek to simply theologize it away. Leslie Newbegin put it this way, that the church is not sent into the world to explain the world, but to change it. And how we change the world is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, friends, as a part of the church, God sends you into the world to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have firsthand experience at how God has taken you, blind people, to see once again. How you have experienced this inner transformation where you have had pride and now you're humble. Where you've had swagger, but now you see your neediness. Because in the church, there cannot be any smugness, swagger, religious entitlement, or anything. Because, friends, the thing that we can all say about every single one of us is that we're all beggars. We are all beggars. And praise the Lord for it. We have nothing. And the only thing that we possess is actually our neediness. And what we see about this Savior of ours, Jesus Christ here, is that he has everything and he is willing to give it freely. And he is willing also to pick fights with you so that you'll see your neediness and have sight and see him again. Let's pray.